Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. One of the classes that we offer in the Living Faith Bible Institute is a class called Hermeneutics. Uh, Hermeneutics is basically a, a fancy theological word for studying the Bible, learning how to study the Bible, learning the principles of studying the Bible. And principles for studying God's Word are super important because if we come to the Bible blind, we can derive all kinds of truth. We can make the Bible say really whatever we want it to say. And so learning how to approach God's Word is critical for the minister, for the believer. And that's why today we're having a conversation with Brian Hedges, uh, pastor of Heartland Baptist Fellowship in Harrisonville, Missouri. Uh, he's also the president of Word First Publishing, and he and I are going to be discussing what it means to, to understand and apply three forms of application. And so with that said, I want to welcome Brian Hedges to our show. Thanks for having me, Brandon. It's, it's been good. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had you. Yeah, it's been a, several episodes. <laughs> yes, I think something like 60 or 70. So yeah. I'm so glad to have you back uh, on the show. And before we get into the episode today, I just want to talk briefly about what you got going on at uh, Word First Publishing this weekend. In fact, you've got a church uh, that's out doing some some Bible printing and, and binding and dissemination even yeah. this weekend. Yeah, it's exciting. And so uh, Pastor Jay Shug from Community Fellowship Baptist in Huntsville, Alabama, is uh, part of our Living Faith Fellowship. He's come up uh, to help assemble 2,500 Chichewa New Testaments wow. um, for pastor or for missionary Dan Jalowick in Zambia, Africa. Cool. And uh, also 500 of those will be going to uh, Brian Kaoma as well in Malawi. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's a joint project, and it's an exciting thing. So uh, Pastor Jay's church has gotten behind the project. They've uh, helped finance it, and we've come up, partnered together to assemble them, and uh, they'll be taking 2,500 Bibles home. You know, Monday morning. That's so exciting. And uh, they'll ship them over and get them where they need to go on time. And so just by way of, of plugging that ministry, any church, uh, any entity that wants to make sure that God's Word gets in the hands of, of people, yes, uh, whether locally or abroad, uh, Word First Publishing, get, get in touch. Get in touch with us, and we will help get the Word where it needs to go. Yeah, praise God. Amen. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about how to study the Bible, uh, how to approach the Word of God. And uh, I think you're the perfect guy for this because um, I think that, that you're really clear in the way that you teach and instruct. And I think that's helpful on a subject like this because so many people have made Bible study so complicated mm -hmm. uh, as though anybody who wants to study the Bible has to do four years in seminary and, and know Greek and Hebrew. But, but we have God's word Amen. available to us and God has made it plain. And, and easy for any person, the common person, to just pick up a Bible and study it. But there are principles that have to be understood as we as we approach God's Word. And so uh, I'm excited about having that conversation uh, today with you. And, and so before we get into it, uh, real deep, I want to ask you, why is context so critical in Bible study? Why is that so important to us in the way that we approach God's Word? Yeah, Brandon, context is it's very important. Obviously, if um, if you're in a conversation with someone, no one wants to be taken out of context. No, and uh, and so that implies obviously that what we are communicating is not exactly uh, what we wanted to say. So mm -hmm. when it comes to something as important as God's word, Jesus says in John seventeen seventeen, His word is truth. It's important that we study the Bible in the proper context, so we mm -hmm. don't twist or change God's words. So uh, context is everything uh, when it comes to principles of Bible study. 
um, you know, it, it's important that uh, we don't take God's word out of context, mm-hmm. else we'll twist and manipulate the truth to match what we think instead of allowing the truth to direct us. Right. So what, give me some examples of what happens when people, even well-intentioned people, take God's word out of context. What's, I mean, what does that look like practically uh, in, in, in the study of God's word? Sure. Yeah, there's, uh, it's, and it's easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, that's why we have to continue to study and uh, make sure that we don't take the word out of context. But what happens when we take the word out of context is that it, it actually affects things that are very, very important mm-hmm. to our, our life spiritually. Uh, everything from soteriology and salvation right. to eschatology, mm-hmm. you know, and everything in between. And so, for instance, if we had Matthew twenty four thirteen, and we didn't understand what that passage says in context, it says right. endure to the end and you'll be saved. Well, if you don't understand the context of what's going on in Matthew 24, how that applies both in the chapter, in the New Testament, in the whole of the Bible, uh, well, you, you may feel like you need to endure to the end and there is no grace. Right. And so it's so important that we put those things in context. Uh, similarly, you know, we can find that if we don't understand passages addressing a certain people group like Israel. Mm-hmm. We pull those, lift those out of context, which may be great uh, in an inspirational application, which we'll talk about maybe right. later. But uh, next thing you know, you're applying passages of Scripture uh, to yourself that God never intended. Right. And so it's very dangerous to take the words out of context, not only because we misrepresent the Lord, but also it leads us astray. And so as Bible teachers especially, it's important. And mm-hmm. as Bible students, those of us that are learning and growing, which we're all learning and growing all the time, it's important that we study the Bible and take context uh, very seriously. Yeah. And so, you know, working with young people in ministry, a lot of times uh, I'll have a, a, you know, a, no, a new person, a new member of, of the church or a new member of the class who's maybe grown up in church their whole lives and they've been around the Bible, they know Bible stories, but they don't understand this principle of context. And just like you said, they'll, they'll find a, a pet passage or, or they'll, they'll find a, a portion of scripture and they'll want to apply it immediately to their life or, or they'll want to use it as a lens to see some other thing in scripture. But if they misunderstand, you know, the context of who it was written to or, or, or what, what, what was happening here historically in the, in the time frame that it was written, uh, or, or the whole of the passage even, how does this verse or this passage fit in the whole of Scripture? They get things confused and mixed up, and, and it's really easy to end up drawing conclusions that are far, far, far away from what God originally intended them to mean. Absolutely. So that, that leads us to this next idea of comparing Scripture with Scripture, which is how we is one of the ways in which we establish context mm-hmm. is by comparing scripture with scripture. And we talk about that a lot in our hermeneutics classes in you know, in our D2 classes, our foundations classes, we talk about this a lot. We want to, we want people to understand how to compare scripture with scripture. Could you explain for us what that means comparing scripture with scripture? Sure. That's a, that's a really good question. So important to compare scripture with scripture. And, um, you know, we, when we talk about that, first of all, you got to have an understanding of, of uh, the the Bible itself, what mm-hmm. are the proper divisions of the Bible? You know, and mm-hmm. it starts. You know, some people don't believe there are divisions, right? And so, um, obviously, there are. There's Old Testament. There's New Testament. So mm-hmm. there's your first division. Right. So understanding some basic 
Bible study principles mm-hmm. allows us to understand how to you know put the Word of God in context, and then uh, from that you know we learn uh, the the ability. We have keywords and phrases and principles, other principles that we use to study the Word of God and compare Scripture with Scripture and uh, line upon line and precept upon precept. Mm-hmm. The Bible defines itself. Therefore, we want to understand how the word or a phrase is defined in the context of yeah. both the the testament it's found in and then the book and then the chapter, of course, and even down into the phrase perhaps. And mm-hmm. then we find over time that there are key phrases and key words uh, as we search the Scripture, uh, not just the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the whole of the Bible. It's God's mind. All 66 books are mm-hmm. His mind. And so we, we allow it to define itself. We don't define it for ourselves. Right. We let the Bible define itself. And that brings context into clarity right, for us. Right. A lot of times we talk about this in terms of, you know, the, the theological terms are exegesis versus eisegesis. Mm-hmm. An eisegetical approach to God's word is, is kind of using man-made ideas and opinions and using them, those presumptions, to define what the Bible says. So like an easy way of doing that, it'd be to use a, a common contemporary dictionary to define a term or a word that we find in scripture, which could accidentally create implications that are actually not there in scripture. When we say exegesis or exegetical study, we're using everything within the confine of scripture to help produce our meaning and and establish our terms uh, for study. Absolutely, we're so, not imposing. Right, we're not imposing. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So maybe give us an example of how that works. Comparing comparing a scripture with scripture and creating establishing definitions uh, from within the Bible itself. Yeah, a good example of that might be uh, in the book of John, chapter mm-hmm. one, where we see John the Baptist uh, proclaim loudly and boldly uh, in the context of history to those gathered, which were Jews, uh, "Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world." Mm-hmm. Now, what does that really mean? Right. You know. Now that, we can, that, tr- that term, that phrase, "Lamb of God." Yeah, mean, Lamb yeah. of God. And so there's several things in a passage like that that, um, you know, just a casual read, even someone who's, who's you know, semi-familiar with Christianity might say, oh, that's just Jesus. Well, it is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, we know that. Right. But what does that really mean? So when we take the word lamb, for instance, and we take it all the way back to, to its origin, what we're going to find, the first mention of the word lamb of God is going to be, or lamb, I should say, rather, is Genesis 22. Mm. And so that takes us all the way back to Abraham and Isaac. Mm-hmm. And so in the context of that story, again, using context, and we find this this uh, another principle of first mention, and we're looking at that, we find that, you know, Isaac is asking his dad, Abraham, hey, dad, where's the lamb? You know, yeah, where's right. this lamb? And so, of course, that informs uh, our understanding of this of this this lamb. It's, mm-hmm. it's brought for a sacrifice. We're going to offer it. And and at the same time, you know, as we're paying attention to this, it's establishing other principles, substitutionary atonement, and mm-hmm. all these other things that are wrapped around this lamb. Right. And uh, as we continue through, of course, uh, if you took the time to study the word lamb through the Old Testament, you're going to find it appearing in, in Exodus chapter 12, next mm-hmm. mention which happens to be dealing with the Passover lamb mm. and the freedom of Israel escaping the bondage of Egypt. And so, uh, and then of course we have the law of Moses, Deuteronomy and Numbers, and we see the lamb is, in, is part of the Levitical process in, mm-hmm. in Aaron's ministry there. And so it's also part of you know the sacrificial atonement process for the nation of Israel. Right. And so bringing all that forward as we study that, it really opens up our understanding. So now we understand when, when John the Baptist shows up and says, hey, behold, the Lamb of God. Right. 
you know, it's a it's a pronoun. Right, like it's right. capitalized. Mm-hmm. It's the only place it's never been done in the text that we've seen before. Up That's to that just, point in the Bible, it would never been used yeah. as a pronoun. No, yeah. it's just a lamb. Wow. Uh, the lamb or your lamb, mm-hmm. uh, Exodus chapter 12. And it's always, yeah, it's never been used as a pronoun until you get to, to that place in, in John chapter 1, mm. verse 29. And it's mentioned twice. Um, I forget the second reference, but uh, it's uh, it's mentioned there uh, twice in chapter chapter one, and then of course we see later as we're going through the New Testament in First Peter chapter one verses eighteen and nineteen that Peter says that uh, this lamb is it's its precious blood of Christ as it's a, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, and very clearly of course we know that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, fulfills right. all of that, right. but it doesn't end there as we keep studying the Bible and we run these words down, we find ourselves in Revelation. And again, now, suddenly, every mention of the word lamb is a pronoun. That's mm-hmm. a, and uh, it is the Lamb of God, victorious over the grave, sitting at the on the throne of God, opening the seals. I mean, right. just you go right through every chapter, and we end up in Revelation 22 with uh, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, uh, ruling and reigning in right, glory, and right. uh, and so now we have we don't have first mention and last mention, we have full mention, mm-hmm. and it's all based on the context of of the Word of God in the context of the whole of the Bible. Yeah, that that's so good. So you know, for us as New Testament Christians, obviously we find our particular doctrines in the the confines of the New Testament, right, in the mm-hmm. Pauline epistles in particular. And obviously, uh, you know, we're we're looking to get insight into the doctrines that we believe. And we do that by comparing scripture with scripture. So your example is really good because what we have here is all of these different facets or times in which this this phrase lamb was used. We gather those together. We find the pattern Mm -hmm. and how they were used and they complement one another in the person of Jesus Christ. They come together and now we have a very holistic view of a very simple term that we want, we could just gloss over or just presume we Easily. know what it means. We just make assumptions and, and move right along. But if we study God's word and we want to know it deeply, we do need to find those patterns and we need to gather them together in order to get that holistic perspective on the doctrine that we believe in. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. So today, you know, we're, our primary focus today is going to be to address this issue of the three forms of biblical application, mm-hmm. because we we have to know that in order to properly establish context. You already alluded to that earlier. Mm-hmm. If we want to get a context for the Word of God, if we want to understand the Word in terms of its larger context, uh, we have to get these three forms of biblical application down. So maybe you can talk to us about what, what are those three forms of, of application and and what do they mean? Yeah, the three forms of application that, that we would typically apply is, uh, first would be historical. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does the passage say in just historical record? What does it mean in the context of history? Mm-hmm. So again, we're dealing with context. Uh, the second uh, would be uh, doctrinally. What does it actually teach? Um, and that that's a, it's a, the word doctrine just simply means teach. So right. what is it? What is that passage or verse teaching us in the context of God's overall plan? Mm-hmm. As we just talked about with uh, the Lamb, for instance, what does that what does that mean doctrinally? Mm-hmm. The Lamb of God. What is that all about? And how does right. it mean? How does it take away the sin of the world? Well, that's a doctrinal study. We have to learn what is John trying to teach us here. What is the Lord trying to teach us about Himself? Mm. And then the last one is inspirational. And so. Um, you know, an inspirational application is just simply a practical application, and some call it a devotional application. Mm-hmm. And 
Uh, and so a good devotional application of what we just learned about the lamb, for instance, would be, well, Romans chapter 12. You know, let's, let's be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, right? So that's the doctrinally that has an application to us in the church, but inspirationally, let's take that on. Right. right. Let, yeah. Let's let's live our life and be humble and 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 submitted to the Lord. So it's an inspirational, devotional application. It's taking something that is uh, perhaps deeply uh, profound doctrinally, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe a little boring historically. You know, whatever <laughs> right, the case. Right. But being able to lift that out and and see how that applies to my life today. Yeah, right. And uh, and that's a good inspirational application. Now we we want to make sure that by the time this episode is over, we've we've got a clear understanding of how these three different forms of application apply. And so let's let's maybe just camp out on each one. And then as we do that, we'll, we'll talk about how they weave together and they interact. And so let's maybe just start by talking about the historical application. And so how does one go about getting a historical application within the Bible? Say they're reading somewhere and they're trying to understand what where this fits within the context of history uh, biblical history, but also, you know, the history of the world even. Like, what is God up to? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, you know, we have to start with the premise that mm-hmm. God's word is true. You right. Know, we talked about that in John 17, 17. God's word is truth. And that means the book is his story. It's history mm-hmm. is defined by the narrative of the Bible. And so we believe that. Right. Uh, that it is his book. It's his Bible. Therefore, you know, the first, uh, the, the account of Genesis is not a allegorical interpretation mm-hmm. of historical events. It's seven day literal creation. It's a, it's a, an, a literal account. And the yeah. good thing is anthropology now, you know, is finding that, wow, that Bible is very accurate. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the places, the accounts, the people are, you know, they're all intact because yep. it's a historical record. Mm-hmm. Therefore, uh, we don't we don't derive our faith in the historical record of the Bible from anthropology. We already know it's there; it's true. Right. So, yeah. having that premise, yeah, we're faith-filled people. Right. We just take the Bible for what it says, mm-hmm. and uh, it, I think it's important to uh, take the time to uh, understand the um, the how the Bible comes together in a historical fashion. Right. Um, the Old Testament from the New Testament, uh, you know, understanding how the four Gospels, for instance, are uh, repeating right. uh, the same story four times, how Acts is a transitional book. It is the history book mm-hmm. of the of the New Testament. Yeah. And then we fit those epistles later on into that. That's not necessarily the way uh, many of us think. I, I When I got saved, I didn't know Genesis from Revelation. Mm-hmm. So these were things you have to put together, just historically what is what is happening. And God gives us that, and he gives us pastors and teachers, Ephesians chapter 4, yeah. to help us understand some of those things. And uh, one of the things I did as a young Christian um, was take the, uh, the Bible, probably about four years old in the Lord, and I realized I was having a hard time contextualizing these things. Yeah. And, and then I'm repeating stories in the Old Testament or the New Testament. I didn't, you know, so uh, there are chronological Bibles. There are tools that you can yeah. get, and you can read the Bible chronologically. And I highly recommend that because it's hard to really get a proper doctrinal uh, or really uh, good inspirational application if you just don't really understand the mm-hmm. history. And yeah. so it'll enrich your understanding of the Bible. Uh, and so I, you can go the, too far with that. It's yeah. not just a historical book. Right. Right. And although there's a lot of great history and you can uh, get excited about all the anthropological, mm-hmm. if I can say that word yeah, properly, yeah, yeah. Um, evidences and how sure. that lines up, at the end of the day, God wants us to understand the doctrine. What is this teaching mm-hmm. us? Yeah. And what is what is what are we stewarding 
right. and in regard to the mysteries of the church. What are we, what is it that God wants us to have, hold, and advance in this in this age and in, in this dispensation? So all of that's going to come with doctrine, which yeah. I will stop. Yeah, I'll yeah stop we'll, there. we'll get there in a yeah. second. Yeah, but historical application is really important. It is really important, and I think what you said about reading the Bible chronologically is a big deal. I don't. I don't think we can take that lightly. I think it's something that we need to consider because even, you know, we teach uh, a survey of the Bible in the order in which we have it, right? So Mm -hmm. here at the Bible Institute, we teach Genesis through Revelation in the order in which they exist within the Bible itself, which is obviously very helpful because there is a sort of a dispensational organization. There's also just an organization in terms of the way uh, the the history records are clumped together, but it's not necessarily a harmony. And so when you read it chronologically, it actually produces a, 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 a linear perspective to better understand the players, the characters, how things happen. Where was the captivity? How did that happen? Mm-hmm. Who was the captor? Who, who you know, was over the, you know, overpowering Israel during this time? Who were the enemies? Who are the kings? Uh, you know, when did they fall? How did they fall? All these parts actually play a major role uh, in the way that we understand the Bible and the way it unfolds throughout time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is a value, uh, having said that, to resources that mm-hmm. are outside. You know, uh, we often find that they ha- the outside resources, historical resources, what I'm referring to, have to catch up with the Bible. Yeah, that's for, true. For many years, people yeah. would uh, would not agree with the record of Daniel and mm-hmm. presume that it was it was a publication that was written. You know, it was uh, written much back-written. later. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was, yeah. It was back written. But uh, as we find out, you know, uh, there are there's accurate historical evidence now that you know what uh, that's exactly how it went down, yeah. just the way Daniel had written it, right? And, Which is the way that so much of the Bible people had it. Yeah. Historians have to explain it away. You know, uh, the narrative of Abraham, the narrative of Moses, David. Who is David? Is he made right. up? You know, and so history is always, like you said, catching up with the Bible. But there is some value in finding faith-based historical commentaries Correct. that help us understand the nuances of culture and mm-hmm. things like that in the time frame in which we're reading. And there are tools, you mm-hmm. know, uh, all kinds of urbans and all kinds of different. Yeah, you know, what are some tools that you would recommend? Again, you're not promoting these as yeah, equal uh, to scripture, but what are some tools that not. you often you use? You know, just uh, as simple as many years ago, the the little Haley's Bible hand commentary right. was good. And, yeah. and then Erdman's has some things, not the best, but, uh, you know, just some anthro- anthropological information mm-hmm. that kind of you can fit around uh, some yeah. of those things. and. Um, there's uh, there's other resources that you can use that uh, help help give you a good historical you know insight to some of the customs and some mm-hmm. of the uh, the money and different things all those kind of things when you see a shekel what was a shekel right, what did right. that consist of yeah you know yeah. or unit of measurement those right. sort of things those are good things to know absolutely and so uh, not too long ago I, I did an interview with Alan Shelby about N.T. Wright. Mm-hmm. And uh, N.T. Wright, you know, kind of represents in terms of a scholarly world, uh, the type of theologian who uses history primarily to inform their doctrine. So in other words, uh, this is where things get dangerous, right? So Absolutely. with him, he's like first century obsessed. And so he sees all of scripture, doctrine, uh, prophecy, uh, even the inspiration uh, of, of how it should be applied in terms of how the believers were living in the first century. And so he uses historical record as his starting off place rather than scripture itself. And uh, so why why is, if we overemphasize historical application, why is that so dangerous and how can it mess us up? 
That's a really good question and a really important one at this mm-hmm. stage in, in church history. Um, you know, men like N.T. Wright um, are going to are going to first resort to historical Christian orthodoxy, mm-hmm. and what that means is what does the historical record say, and then that immediately uh, will take them to the traditions of the church because mm-hmm. they hold a higher authority over traditions and history than they do the actual written words of the of the Bible, right? In my opinion, yeah, and uh, my my humble opinion, mm-hmm. and so it can lead you into all kinds of problems, um, like all millennialism and and yeah. uh, and a works based view of soteriology. Mm-hmm. So you're trying, you know, baptism regeneration, mm-hmm. uh, and a, and a misunderstanding even of communion the, and and all of the very basic elements of doctrine that we would hold to in the New Testament um, are skewed. Yeah. because of holding to a historical, uh, really a man-made uh, record instead of the Word of God itself. So there's definitely a very uh, real and present danger uh, in the uh, in the world we live in today of not holding the Bible mm-hmm. as your primary historical record and allowing everything it to correct everything else. Right, yeah, it's the primary lens. Yeah, the irony is the same guys that would say solo scriptura are yeah. not solo scriptura. Right, right, yeah. They're referencing everything else first. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a really good warning. I think we need to make sure we put that out there. But let's let's talk about how the historical kind of dovetails into the doctrinal. Because obviously the doctrinal, you you can't it's it's the primary thing, right? Like all of these things kind of are housed within this perspective of doctrine. But doctrine informs even the way we see or understand the historical or even mm-hmm. a- apply the inspirational devotional. So maybe talk to us a little bit about doctrinal. How do we derive doctrine in scripture? And uh, and how does it influence the, these other aspects and other forms of application? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is important. And I, getting back to the historical application, um, you know, again, starting there, I when I got saved in 1987, um, you know, 88 Reasons Why came out the next year. And uh, and for those that are young and don't know what that's all about, there was a lot of discussion about eschatology in times teaching mm-hmm. about how you know in 1988 we have 88 reasons why the Lord's coming back today, right? You know, and uh, and certainly the the return of the Lord for to catch away the church is imminent, right? But uh, being a young Christian, uh, I, I didn't really I, I had a profound interest in the doctrine. Yeah, I wanted to know what they're teaching. I want to know about this. I was. Mm-hmm. I was racked when I studied the word rapture and couldn't find it in my New Testament. Oh, yeah, I was like, right. am I in a cult? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so I mean, I was really serious about the study. But as I started trying to chase down uh, key words and phrases like that day, the day of the Lord, and mm-hmm. all of those important things that, that reference the coming of the Lord uh, at the second coming, looking for the evidences of the catching away, all those things, you know what I realized is that I, I needed a good historical understanding before I could really get a hold of the doctrinal understanding. Yeah. And so I don't want to minimize the, the, the historical understanding, but it is important to get the doctrine. Uh, yeah. And so it's a balance is what, right. really what I'm yeah. saying is you got to have a really good understanding of doctrine. You gotta, you do have to have a, a good understanding right. of history right. because it's going to inform your doctrinal um, your thesis, for mm-hmm. lack of a better mm-hmm. word. You know, yeah. you're going to come away with a statement based on what you've learned, and and it's going to be a good one if you have a good historical background. Having said that, to derive a doctrine, of course, we're going to have to compare Scripture with Scripture. Mm-hmm. So the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so all the Bible is written uh, for us, but not all of it is written to us. Yeah. 
And so to arrive at the proper doctrinal understanding, we have to rightly divide uh, the Word of God and rightly apply the Word of God. And so <clears throat> a good example that we've already talked about is in John, you know, mm-hmm. understanding the context. When John the Baptist was speaking uh, to those folks, who were they? Who was he addressing? Well, he's yeah. addressing Jews. Right. And so we start there, but we understand that God's got a lot more uh, going on than that. So doctrinally, mm-hmm. we, we eventually learn that John the Baptist is as good as Elijah, right? So there's some prophetic implications right. as well. Mm-hmm. And we also learn we learn a lot about um, the transitional nature of the ministry of Christ and, and how God is offering these kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven to Israel. So there's all these principles that we have to understand doctrinally. What is it teaching? And if just talking about this right now, we could go on for three more oh, days yeah, yeah. talking about these important concepts of doctrine. Yeah. What is it teaching? And what does that mean to us? And then again, bringing in that historical application as we run that and filter it through what happened in history and acts, and and, and we arrive in the church age. Right. And so now we know how to rightly apply doctrine yep. in this uh, dispensation in which we we are currently in, because we have the historical record to help mm-hmm. us filter through all of these doctrinal concepts. Some of these doctrines apply to the nation of Israel. Some of these doctrines apply to the church. Some of them have a millennial context. Some of them have a tribulation context. Some of them have a church age context. Yeah. And some of them can cross over. Yeah. Mm, how right. do you figure yeah, that yeah, out? Yeah. yeah. You have to study to show yourself approved right. unto God. It, yeah. it is about studying the Bible in the proper context so you can discern the doctrine. Yes. And, uh, and it's so important. Yeah. I think one of the ways I, th- I think about it, even as you're talking about it, <clears throat> how the historical provides us with this linear view of God's history. Uh, through scripture. But really the truth uh, that unfolds in doctrine and the comparing of scripture to scripture mm-hmm. is a web. It's a web of information where lots of dots and lines are being connected together through the whole of the book in order to provide us with an insight on whatever whatever theology or doctrine it is that we're trying to uncover. And I think it's it's kind of a daunting task I mean, I remember being young, like, will I ever, will I ever actually understand these things? Right. And the truth is, no, you won't. So you got to get over that. But at the same time, you do grow in your ability to handle God's word and to draw these conclusions, right? right? And so maybe talk about that. Maybe just inspire us a little bit and tell us uh, about how learning how to do this happened in your life. So in my own life, um, you know, I had to come to the place where, you know, I I, uh, did the work of, uh, you know, discipleship, take the classes, but also studying. You know, I started with a great deal of zeal, um, but zeal without knowledge is is not very effective. Right. It is about being faithful. Mm-hmm. God has given us a faithful word, so we have to be faithful to the word and studying to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman. There's work involved. Yeah. If you want to just uh, get an inspirational word every day, you can get that by a sure. casual read. But if yeah. you want to understand doctrine, it's going to require work. It's going to require, first of all, um, a commitment to the Word of God itself. And today there's so many distractions um, mm-hmm. that, that didn't exist 30 years ago that uh, I would say for folks today, you know, you're really going to have to be intentional about focusing on your time in the Word because mm-hmm. it's, it's not just about you intellectually assimilating information. It's about the Spirit of God teaching you all yeah. things whatsoever He said to you. Right. Uh, and combined with that then is submission to the local New Testament church and and understanding that the pastors and teachers that you're under are given. God knows that we don't understand all of these deep concepts. Uh, right. And so um, it's, a, it's a matter, their job, their, 
is to train us, to teach us, and to exhort us, and mm-hmm. to to bring us that. That's why God has blessed the church with pastors and teachers, and right. and so it's important that we take advantage of the opportunities our churches have, classes and 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 LFBI, and uh, getting on ramped with discipleship one. Mm-hmm. Really, discipleship one is simply a doctrinal study yeah. of, of basic doctrines, fundamentals of our faith that are that can be laid out. So, um, I think it's a it, it takes a certain amount of of uh, discipline and desire uh, to understand the Bible uh, properly in context and get the the doctrine that we're looking for. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is Chris Allred. Uh, My wife, Lindsay, and I are at Oakland Heights Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia, where we've been for about six years. We've served in a lot of different ministries, uh, but our main function has been to lead the middle school ministry for the past five years, up until this past August, where we've transitioned into leading our high school student ministry. Uh, We've been taking LFBI classes for a few years now, and and they've been a, a really big blessing in our life. They've been instrumental in our training and our growth process. Proverbs 11 says that there's safety in the multitude of counselors. That's exactly what LFBI has been for us, a multitude of counselors. Uh, not only do we do we get some biblical knowledge and some doctrinal training, but we have pastors and missionaries teaching these classes uh, that have a lot of experience in ministry and are able to, to not just teach us from a book, but actually uh, pour some wisdom into our lives from their experience and, and help to, to prepare us and train us for leadership and make us into more godly leaders and ministers. And, and LFBI has been a huge blessing, and I believe it's done just that in my life uh, thus far. I've, I've got godly men helping me to become a godly man. And I'm very grateful for LFBI. It's been a huge blessing. Visit lfbi.org to learn more about Living Faith Bible Institute. And one of the things that as you grow in the Lord is, is the ministry responsibility yourself. As you start to teach the Word to others, doing devotions and things like that, it forces you to really dig into some of these biblical principles. And having yeah. the principles, as we all teach in our fellowship churches, the principles of Bible study, yeah. it goes much further than context. Right. And, and having yeah. an understanding of key words and phrases will help you to arrive at the proper doctrinal understanding of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, to whom much is given, much is re- required. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think in our fellowship of churches uh, or any other churches that are like-minded that have a real uh, clear grasp on a dispensational view of the Bible, yeah. have a, a high view of the preservation of God's Word and understand uh, the importance of it. I do believe that that it's important that, that we all understand the responsibility right. that comes with stewarding pure doctrine. Yeah. If you understand the mysteries of the church, you certainly are responsible to carry them forward. Yeah. And it implies you, we know the mission is to teach others also. So we ought to bone up and learn and learn the word of God to the best of our ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, not comparing ourselves with ourselves, there are, especially in this fellowship, it's yeah. incredible. I mean, there's some gifted teachers and some incredible people. You don't have to be those folks. Right. Just be who God saved you yeah. to be. Learn yeah. the word of God and start getting it where it needs to go in the people's lives around you. Um, that want to yeah. is we need that as much as we need the right information. We need people that are committed. Uh, to to honoring God's word, uh, not just in in knowledge, but in application. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, in my life, you know, when I first started, one of the, just a good example of how how little I knew is rolling through Matthew chapter six and verse thirty three was one of the first passages of scripture outside of getting saved in the Romans road. Mm-hmm. I was in my daily reading, and uh, started in Matthew, 
didn't know where else to go. It's the right. first book of the New Testament. I knew the Genesis wasn't going to cut it for me. Right. And uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 came along, and I was just like, wow, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, it just rocked my world. You know, it's simple. Uh, something totally was out of context. I didn't understand that was the Sermon on the Mount. I had no idea what Israel was about. I just knew that, you know what, this is a piece of, of Scripture I can apply. And, yeah. uh, and yeah. so I did. Fortunately, it happened to work out. And uh, in this dispensation too, but right. Uh, yeah, right. you know, setting your affection on things above yeah. Colossians chapter uh, three, kingdom so, of God, yeah, yeah, and it yeah. was a kingdom of God context. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that, right? But God will guide you. My point is, is that God knows the heart, and right. so if someone's watching this and they don't know Genesis from Revelation, I would encourage them to take heart and start, mm-hmm. yeah, and and get in a local church that can teach them some basic Bible principles, give them, equip them with the tools they need to to grow in their ability to study the Bible, because there are principles that we operate by that help yes. us understand yeah. how to study the Bible and put the Bible in its proper Yeah, context. the Bible is an orderly book, and so you have to use the principles necessary to understand order, right? Absolutely. You know, scientists have their tools to understand the order of the universe. We have our tools to help us understand the order of Scripture. Amen. And I think, you know, the, the point you made about applying Matthew six thirty three inspirationally mm-hmm. is a really great segue into the next point, is that Ultimately, God's word, when we read it, when we study it, when we come to understand it, we've given it our time, we've given it our, given it our energy, uh, we, we're full of faith when we approach it, just like you were in your time of, of study and reading. It produced in you an, an inspiration, a devotional application. Explain to us what we mean by that and, and how do we derive devotional application from God's word? Yeah, a devotional or inspirational application is simply uh, you know, taking the, a passage of scripture uh, and applying it to yourself. Um, in a way that, um, you know, you can actually live out today. And it doesn't have to be in the New Testament, the Pauline epistles, you know, mm-hmm. from Genesis to Revelation. There's always, a, there's always a devotional application that we can apply to our life in a practical way, something mm-hmm. that you can walk away with and, and live out is the way I would phrase that. Um, and, you know, there's so many examples, you know, we don't have time for all of them, but uh, like a, that passage in Matthew six thirty three is a great example of a, a passage that if you look at it in its historical and its doctrinal context, it really isn't applying directly to the church. Mm-hmm. But yet it's something that you can lift out and you can apply in this age, in this dispensation, as it say, rather. And it's something that will encourage you mm-hmm. in your walk. So practically speaking, you know, Lord, you know what? I, I have my affection set on the wrong things. Right. I want to put my affections on the right things. And so instead of my job or my my bank account or what right. have you, Lord, help my the desire of my heart be your will, your yeah, word, your, word your, way. your kingdom, your yeah, way. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So with the inspiration, so say for a minute you've got someone who reads something from God's word and, um, you know, the, the very common one that I that yeah, I heard as a high school teacher all the time is this idea that God's going to give me the desires of my heart, right? Because mm-hmm. scripture seems to be telling me that um, God gives strength and he gives a blessing uh, to those who simply ask for it. Right. Right. And that would be like a very easy, miscontextualized devotional mm. view of God's word of, you know, Philippians 4.13 or wherever it is you want to go. And, and walk away convinced that God just wants to give you whatever you want. Right. But then you have no doctrinal understanding of God's word to support that whatsoever. So you you've misapplied right. what God's saying. 
Absolutely, and that's that. Uh, it can happen so easily, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's important that we um, that really the historical and the doctrinal application informs our inspirational application. Yeah, right. And that's it's a uh, it's easy to take a, a passage like that and and again impose something. And, and in a devotional sense, it seems like well that's okay, mm-hmm. but it really it really isn't okay. Right. You really need to let the Word of God inform your inspirational application. Mm-hmm. And uh, otherwise, you could get really disappointed and in your relationship with oh, God yeah. and be very uh, disillusioned. Yes, you know, and that happens all too often. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, understanding God's word is absolutely critical. So, what would you suggest? I mean, you already mentioned a few things. If someone wants to learn how to do this, uh, if someone wants to, to to learn and to practice doing this, you mentioned you know discipleship one. Uh, you mentioned being submitted to the to pastoral leadership. Uh, what are some things that that even right now uh, that growing believers can do if they're going to wake up in the morning and they're going to read their Bible? What are some things just right off the bat that you would tell them? This is this is the things that you want to consider as you study by yourself in the morning. Start doing this right now. Yeah. Uh- I don't know how many people use a pad and paper anymore, but mm-hmm. it would be good to take a pad and paper. Yeah, it'd be good to get get yourself in a position, even physically, where you're ready to take notes and hear mm-hmm. from the Lord, and learn how to start outlining what yeah. you're reading. And that's exactly where I started in Genesis of all books. I remember when I finally started that it was it was monumental, mm. uh, and you'll work through it. You'll learn uh, to assimilate what you're reading and then regurgitate it. I recommend writing it out in a journal. Uh, you may be a typer, whatever. Right. But but take and, and process, chew, and then regurgitate back to the Lord. What is it that you taught me? Put this in order for me, mm-hmm. Lord. From that, you'll draw the application, uh, both doctrinally and um, historically and inspirationally, that God wants you to have. And mm-hmm. it'll cause you for, to do the word studies. And so as you learn those principles, you'll have opportunity to, to go further. I know sometimes uh, when it comes to our devotional reading, um, you know, I'm not a I'm not a guy that has to run through the Bible every year. Um, right. I take it, it takes me about two years, mm-hmm. uh, and that's okay if you are right. So have some structure, right, of some sort. But have a plan, have a pattern, hit it daily, and make sure that you are. Re- I really highly recommend recording, and uh, and assimilating what you're learning. Yeah. Um, and even in a devotional sense, and you can't you don't always have a lot of time. Everybody's running to work and stuff. Sure. So if you can't do the word study right now, write it down, keep it for later. Yeah. You know, keep track of that kind of thing. Um, but it's definitely uh, I would really recommend that that folks um, spend some time with a real plan and a, and a, and a and a an agenda of I'm going to get something out of the word mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. And uh, if it's some folks, sometimes I get stalled out. I get a few verses in and that's it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm meditating heavily on that. And that's what I need that day. Other times, it's you can read voluminous amounts of scripture. I would encourage folks that, that don't get d- discouraged when you've read several chapters of scripture. Uh, I like what Sam Miles says read the Bible till it reads you. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that's a great practice. Um, but the Bible's like food. So even if you don't come away with a really, you know, soul stirring, you know, inspirational right. uh, word of the day. You've just didn't eaten your green beans and your peas. Yeah, right. I mean, so get it in. Yeah. And your soul, your soul, your spirit, the we'll Holy be satisfied. The Holy Ghost likes that. Yeah. Right. It, it likes food. Yeah. And so, uh, so you don't always have to have an emotional reaction to what you read. Be consistent mm-hmm. and uh, and be full of faith and read the Word of God. Yeah. 
And then, you know, and study the word of right. God more and, importantly. And when you study it, are there certain questions that the, the growing believer should ask themselves as it concerns, as it pertains to these things in particular? Like, as they're going through a passage, are there questions that they should be considering or even writing out to the side, like, mm-hmm. that, that are related to this topic in particular? Absolutely. They should be asking, you know, who authored it? Uh, well, again, getting back to our historical context, mm-hmm. what's going on just historically? And that'll help you a, a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to who was it written and uh, and where was it written? And then the why. Why yeah. is God addressing this or that subject through this or that person? Right. And then where it's going. And as you study the Bible more, there will be themes that occur, and you start to learn that the theme of the Bible is the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So it can help help bring a lot of those things into order as you go, and you'll see that theme working through every chapter, every verse, mm-hmm. and, and try to see where all that fits together. And it'll help bring it together for you. Man, that's good. This was a great introduction to this topic, um, Brian. So thank you so much for hanging out with me and and for being willing to talk about just how much we love the Bible. Amen. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. And we want to thank you as well for joining us for another episode of The Postscript each week when we come together and have these ministry conversations. We're so grateful that you join us and and you want to listen in week after week. Uh, But we also want to invite you to go visit lfbi.org because this coming semester, we're offering the hermeneutics class. Pastor Greg Axe will be teaching that and enrollment is now open and and you can go and and sign up for that class and, and learn more about how to study the Bible. We also teach a brief how to study the Bible in the foundations level courses. Foundations three uh, gives a summary of all of the principles that you'll you'll hear about on these shows uh, on the postscript and uh, the way in which Living Faith Fellowship approaches God's word. We also want you to uh, Google or visit Amazon uh, to learn more about the keys of Bible study. This is one of the critical texts at LFBI. Uh, This book was written by our friend Mark Trotter. Many of you know Mark or you've seen episodes with Mark on this show. He passed away this last year, uh, but he left us with very profound material, very good, easy to access material on how to study the Bible. And so we want to invite you to check out uh, the Keys of Bible Study. This is available on Amazon and you can learn more about it at lfbi.org. With all that said, uh, we ask that you would continue to share videos and and share the podcast with your friends. Uh, We're so thankful thankful for your support, and we love you. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.